Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Strumsky. This week, we're honored to have Ronnie Ocampo as our guest. Ronnie is a trailblazing woman who has made her mark in the male-dominated field of wildland firefighting. With years of experience under her belt, Ronnie has proven that women can not only hold their own in this physically demanding profession, but also excel at it. As a wildland firefighter, Ronnie has faced some of the toughest challenges nature can throw her way, including blazing heat, raging flames, and treacherous terrain. In this episode, Ronnie will share with us her inspiring journey from her early days as a rookie to her current role as a seasoned veteran and mentor to aspiring women firefighters. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve into the world of wildland firefighting with the one and only Ronnie Ocampo. Enjoy. Uh, Where are you actually right geographically? I'm in Colorado Springs. Okay. Oh, I love Colorado Springs. But yeah, no, it's nice here. I've been here for 10 years, which is really rare. Not rare, but it's kind of crazy. Do you usually move around? Yes. Typically being in the military, um, it's every at least four years. Okay. But uh, obviously you do, I mean, you do your firefighting stuff because from my research, obviously, I don't even know why I didn't think of this, but you're not doing that 24-7. You're getting called on to do that whenever... Yeah. So, I mean, you can have, um, it depends on how you get hired. So you can be a seasonal, which is what I was when I was actually doing it. Um, and that's just for like, maybe like eight months max. Mm. Um, but then if you, you can actually be like a career seasonal, which you can actually get on for, so you'll be on all winter long. And those are harder jobs to get, obviously. Um, so a lot of people are just temps. So you have to, every summer you have to reapply and get hired every summer. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you'd have to be like, like a top of the top to do that as well or no? Yeah. I mean, some places are really competitive. Like I've had people reach out to me saying, Hey, like I've put in all of these different places and I still haven't heard back from anybody, which is kind of crazy. Cause like you can apply anywhere, which is what I absolutely love about this job. And what I recommend for people to do is because you don't have to stay in your hometown. Like you can go and experience somewhere, the different fuels, different terrain, different people, um, just for a summer. And then you can come back home and then you can go somewhere new the next season. And I, that's just, just like the variety of it. I love that. So, um, so yeah, it just depends on what people want to do, but that's one reason that I like it. So not I've got, I guess I got to preface this at some point, but you are a wildland firefighter in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And what, I guess, what got you into it at the beginning? Um, So honestly, it was just my best friend. I never thought of ever being a wildland firefighter before in my life. Um, It was right out of high school. My, my best friend, we did cheerleading together and she's like, Hey, we should go be firefighters. And I was like, um, no, (laughs) And, um, she had it in, she knew people we were in from a really small town. So everyone knows everyone. Um, but so she knew the, um, fire, sorry, the fire, um, soup there. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously we had to go through the process still. I had to like apply and all that stuff, but she is literally the only reason. And she's like, let's just go fight some fire and have fun for the summer. I'm like, all right, let's do it. (laughs) Um, other than that, I would never, ever 
try and get into wildland firefighting, especially right out of high school. I never thought of it. Um, and I never thought that it would be like such a passion. And now that I'm, I'm teaching people about it because if I didn't have her, like I would have never experienced any of the greatness that came from it. So I want to start with younger people and saying, Hey, this is an opportunity, even if it's something you never thought about before. So is she still in it? No, she's not. Um, we did it for probably, I think four seasons together. I did a fifth. Um, and then, yeah. And then I went into the military. Okay. So I guess kind of walk me, well, walk the listeners through what's the difference between a wildland fire and a, like a city firefighter, obviously like a structure there's firefighter. big differences. Um, so wildland fire is you're actually like out doing forest fires. Um, yes, you can do like, um, urban interface, which is people have houses, you know, in the wilderness and you just kind of do some structure protection, but you're not actually like going into the buildings and like, you know, burning buildings. Like if something is burning down, it's, it's burned down. <laughs> like we're not going in, um, Structure firefighters, they actually like gear up, suit up, go in, um, and they're doing obviously the more all city stuff. Um, and then wildland is just forest, um, wildland urban interface as well. Cause you guys are, I mean, not that you guys don't save people, but you're saving people on a much larger scale. Like Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean the the um sheriff's office and stuff like that we will work hand in hand with them and they're going to send out evacuations and people will help like people kind of like evacuate people don't have to but um it's you know recommended um and actually we have i have heard many of cases where especially like old people they're like no i'm not leaving my house it i'll be fine and then they get burned over and so um yeah but anyways so yes we do save people and we do like try and usher people out of the way and like warn them of what's going on um and sometimes you know as a as a crew member you're kind of just when i was doing it i you know you're just taught fire but we were out like on um a a rancher's field and there was tons of cattle and a lot of them got burnt over and um the rancher coming in real hot because that's their money right so and all of it just passed away and so he's we're the ones who are right there putting out the fire so we're the ones who are right there for them to yell at and you're kind of like i'm just here to put out the fire i don't know so you kind of have to be prepared for a lot of different situations that get thrown at you you have to be really professional in those situations so um there's so many life skills that this job will teach you and just the resilience that you have to have um so there's just there's just so many great things about it that i love but yes to go back to your question of yes you do actually like still help people um and save people, but not in the same manner. It yeah, but I mean, it's it's pretty huge. I mean, if it, you stop it before it gets much larger, you guys are like containing. And yes. that's the big thing I learned from at least researching in the past like week is the fact that it's it's called a trench line. Is that what it's called? What's it called? When you um, basically I mean, you're dig. like digging line, you have a containment line. That's it. That's it. Because I, I didn't even. It's something that I guess I, I wouldn't even think about for a forest fire, but basically you're getting rid of any possible fuel like across this 
line, as you say, just so <laughs> it just stops dead. It'll just burn out, mm -hmm. hopefully. Yes. And I mean, that I guess that's like the main goal is basically to stop it in its tracks on every side. Yes. But I, I guess my main question is how you must have m much larger numbers if that if that fire is coming on, like expanding on multiple uh, fronts, right? Yeah. So um, typically you have like the heel of the fire and it'll either be like wind driven or there's fuel driven. So, um, you know, if there's like more thick fuel over here, the fire is going to actually like go that way. Right. So um, you have like a typically the heel of the fire, but sometimes wind and terrain, it can actually like you can get two heads or three heads of a fire. So it's all going in all different directions. So you can just imagine. Yes. Like it can get out of control really, really quickly. Um, so having great leadership and people who can read terrain, like knowing the fire behavior, kind of understanding all the different aspects of it and being able to analyze and say, this is what I think the fire is going to do. And that's a game that I love. I tell my people that I, I really love for them to practice when you're driving down the road, just stop and say, I mean, you don't have to stop, but like say, Hey, a fire, um, would start right here what would it do so factor in the terrain factor in the fuel factor in the weather um just kind of like all those different aspects and what would you think that the fire was going to do and i really think that puts you in the right mindset of of being a growing and being a leader in this career field um so i think that's a really great exercise because yeah like you said like it can get it can be really crazy and um and then once it gets large scale you're you're factoring in all these different agencies and everyone has to communicate together. And that's kind of a difficulty that I think a lot of fires have. You think, hey, by now you would all get it together. But everyone has, departments have different um, TTPs and, you know, just different ways that they do things. And so when you come together, people from all over the United States, if it's a large enough incident, um, have to come together and work together. So it can be difficult sometimes, you can imagine. Um, but when it works you know, we have an incident command system in place. And so an IC, ICS, I see it anyways. Yes. Incident command system. And, um, so yes, we have that in place. So to try and like, you know, get everything all together, but it can get crazy. Yeah. What are, I guess, what are, I guess the biggest challenges that you've had to face with your time? Biggest challenges. Um, Honestly, during it, it was, it was a great time. The, the most difficult that I had, like I said, I came from a background of cheerleading and I was young, so I was in great shape and I just, I love to work out. So that wasn't an, uh, like an issue for me when you are pushed to your limit of being tired, you're hungry, you're hot. It is, you have to hike up this same hill over and over and over again and you're sick of it and the guy next to you keeps doing something weird and you're like bro just enough you know when you've just kind of hit that wall um so it is such a mental game um you definitely have to break through and push through it builds grit so i really think the mental aspect people i don't think people give enough credit to their mental strength and mental toughness that they have to have you know obviously when you're young you're like you see firefighters and you're like i want to go do that cool badass job and like you're like i'm in shape i can do this and then you get out there and you you have all these things come up and you're just like 
you see people break kind of. <laughs> so, um, you know, it definitely is going to, you, you know, work and build that mental toughness muscle for you. Yeah. Cause so that was kind of my biggest struggle of, of one, trying to keep up with the guys. Um, and it, and I don't want to make it like a male female thing by any means. Um, I know a lot of people have issues with females out on the line, but there's a lot of guys who don't and who are like, man, I know this chick and she's freaking awesome. She beats out all the guys. And, um, so, but as a female, like the guys on my crew, they were just fitter than I was. And I had to work out twice as hard as they did. Um, and so, and it, it was what it was. I wasn't upset about it. I, you know, it just, it is what I, I had to do it. There was a standard and I had to meet it. And so I had to like really push myself to meet that standard. So, um, that was another thing, but you know, it was, it was what it was. Yeah. So what I wanted to mention earlier, but I didn't want to, I wanted to establish a base, but I, I had read for some reason they threw two stories in in these books I read in the last month. I don't they're not related books, but they were talking about one was maybe it was like frame of mind on dropping your gear like mm -hmm. the fire. Like I when I think of fire, I, I guess I don't think of it as fast moving, mm -hmm. which obviously I don't know if that's like a common misconception. But when I think of fires, I think it like slowly moving over. But I guess if the wind's really cooking and like you said, the um, what's it called? The fuel, mm -hmm. like, I guess if it's super dry and stuff like that, it'll just wreck through. Yes. And what they were talking about was wildland firefighters were told to drop their gear and they wouldn't drop their gear. And basically, what's the nice way to you were using a phrase? What's it called? Burnt. They got burnt over. Burnt over. That's mm -hmm. such a that's such a uh, vanilla word to say that. And yeah, but I it, it it just baffled me. But then it's so weird to let go of your gear, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and is that one of the stories they tell? Basically, they train you like if you get to this point, drop your gear. Yes, because you're going up. You're going up like like you said you're running up a hill. And I mean, if you're not going to outrun the fire, you're not going to be able to fight any more fires. Right. But once you're in the mindset there, say you've been out there for days and, um, you know, you have this stretch of line, that's your piece of line. You've been assigned this and you know, the area and you've been working it forever. And you're like, Hey, we have our safety zone. We have our escape routes established. Like we're good. Something happens really quickly and it kind of catches you off guard. You're just in the mindset of like, you're just working and doing your thing and your gear is like your lifeline, right? So you don't want to get rid of it. And what if you ditch it and it, you didn't really need to, or I don't know, you know, you could just like put yourself in that situation, but, um, I guess it's better to deploy than not, but really, I was never in a situation where like deployment wasn't, was a, a thing that we needed to ever do. Um, also, so, I think these, both of these instances I'm talking about, they didn't probably have the same information yeah. that there is today because I was going to mention, like I saw that drone, I, I wouldn't imagine I, why not use drones like oh, all the right? time? Oh my gosh. Right. I think that the technology, like the, oh my gosh, the technology could save so many people and really help with the fire behavior and predicting what's going to happen. 
Um, and I really think that, that could save up a lot of land being burnt up, um, a lot of resources and, um, and that's really going to help people like decrease, um, like just that, that load that they have on them. Um, especially when it's, if it's a busy summer. So yes, I think drones. Yes. And even the communication, I mean, you could, Oh yeah. Like yes. nowadays it's probably point to point where you guys, I mean, you probably even have, I mean, look at iPhones nowadays. The last one that came out has a satellite, like you don't even need to have AT&T or Verizon. They've hooked it up where, wherever you are, you can call. So I yes. would imagine your communication back and forth isn't really, there's no loss. Yeah, no. And that's another thing too, is like, like many years ago, it was like, you had to use repeaters. So if you're on opposite side of the mountains, you have to use a repeater and sometimes it's broken and all that jazz. And so, you know, if that goes down, then communication's down, you have to rely on people going back and forth. And it's just, like you said, um, I saw a graph or a, a thing where they had like a blimp up in the sky and that was going to be like the repeater for the whole fire or whatever. Like that's just, it was, it's going to save so much and just help so much with communication, like you said. So yes, I think the technology, I know I read an article, someone sent me an article about, um, I think it was Boeing is going to start doing, um, they're really investing in wildland firefighting. So I was like, oh, I want to work for them because that would be awesome. They're going to do like fire analysis. Like, I think that that would be amazing. I think that, that is so cool. So I think there's a lot of jobs out there that are going to be created. Um, and I really think it's going to really help the wildland firefighting community because it definitely needs it. Like we need an upgrade. We have, it's been archaic a little bit and <laughs> it's like time to get up with the times, but it costs so much money. Right. So I think once the initial, like dump all this money in, I think a lot of the money that goes actually to the fires is going to kind of, you know, hopefully reduce that. So. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that because now that you say the word archaic, mm -hmm. when you guys are digging that line, I'm like, I, I'm just thinking like exactly like you said with Boeing, but I was thinking like Caterpillar or you right? just get something out there, like not even a, why am I saying that? I'm thinking farm equipment, you get an ox, you get a, uh, dig a huge trench, right? Uh -huh. Isn't that cutting it off, making it super, and then you're, you're watering it down. So yep. I can't see why there, there, there probably is something like that, but it's probably about how do we deploy it there? How do we deploy it in the middle of nowhere right. where there's no, no roads, there's no way to get it there. And there's no way a helicopter can bring it there. So you're right. thinking so the like, logistics of it. Yeah. I mean, we do have dozers, we do have dozer <laughs> operators. Um, and so sometimes I've seen a dozer operator do some crazy stuff. They're on like a hill like this and they're just like cut in line and they do some pretty crazy stuff. I saw an, a dozer went under a, um, a telephone pole or telephone wire and it arced to the dozer. It was so crazy. Um, so was yeah, the, I mean, the there are dozers okay? who, who do good out there and like dig this huge line, which is so awesome. And they do it so much quicker than, you know, a 20 man crew can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could, I could definitely imagine like, like a, like a small boy, like something maybe the size of like a forklift getting there somehow, mm -hmm. obviously it's still going to be like tons. Yeah. Like, it's going to take time, gonna... but they do load it up on like a flatbed and get it out there. So when it's, I mean, if you're like talking about a big fire, a big incident, um, yeah, they do order those, but again, that's another resource that you have to order and time to get there. And 
Yeah. So just the logistics of it, you know. But you're completely right on the data charts. Like I would imagine if you worked with like the national, like NOAA, like the weather system, mm -hmm. and you projected like the dry areas, how long they've been dry for. Yeah. You calculated the wind rate. I mean, these are all things that probably are like, like they're already charted. It's yes. just a matter of putting all the data together and then saying, okay, this is exactly where we want the line to stop or mm -hmm. even predicting where it would be. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So weather is a really big factor. We do have, you know, like weather teams that are out there and you get weather updates. Sometimes you get them every hour. People actually get on the radio and say, this is what the weather is. So people know, um, you'll read the, the weather expected weather, um, at briefing, they'll brief it to everyone. So they do really emphasize weather to everyone, making sure everyone knows it. But yeah, I think, um, cause I remember when I was doing it, which is, you know, a few years ago now we would spin weather. Like <laughs> it was just so crazy. It's just, like I said, archaic. Now you can have like the Kestrels and they can just like automatically, but nope, I would just sit out there and just spin weather. And then you'd find the dry bulb and the wet bulb and you have to do the math. And so it's just, I love to see the technology because I know where I came from. And so it's just, <laughs> it's great. That is fine. You can be out in the middle of nowhere and have zero service. Like you, you can't reach anybody. Nothing works because you can go to some really remote places. Um, and it's really odd. Like you can go and you're like, you're not really that far from town, but it would be difficult to find service. So, um, yeah. So I think it's definitely come a long way since I was since I've been and, doing it. And you're in Colorado Springs, but how many different states have you done besides Colorado? So I was doing fire out of Idaho. Okay. That's where I'm from. Um, and then I did get onto a, um, like a national fire. So we went down to Arizona. I did some in New Mexico, Utah. Um, I really wanted to make it to California. The fire behavior out there, I think is just something else. And I never made it unfortunately. So I've just done those, those areas. We went into Montana a little bit. Um, so just kind of like around Idaho and then down South for a national fire. Okay. Well, that that's a lot. I mean, and, and that's another I, thing about firefighting. Like you can go different places, see different fuels, different trains, um, even, you know, being stationed at the station that you're from, you're like your hometown. I mean, so I mean, you get some really cool opportunities that I think is really good for young people, like especially like right out of high school or even college students. I really promote it for that like gap because um, that's what I did. I did, you know, fire for the summer as a temp and then I would go to college for like my regular college for the fall and in spring and then have the summer just rocking and rolling and just working as hard as I could as long as I could. So, you know, to make as much money as you can. And then, you know, be done for the for the winter. Getting paid to work out, basically, right? Oh, yeah. And camp and see beautiful places and see some awesome people. And um, I mean, you definitely, you know, a lot of people say embrace the suck. There are definitely some sucky moments, you know, but it's just but you're doing it together and it's just yeah. great. <laughs> it's uh, what do they call that? Shared trauma, basically. Yes. <laughs> well, that's a bad way to phrase it because yes, I there's actual trauma, that. but like you always make good friends when you're like when you have a really bad boss or like you have a really bad teacher or you're, I don't know, doing a marathon. You have somebody you're doing it with. It's yes. always like we've been <laughs> through it. Yes. <laughs>
It's like your World War II buddies. Like <laughs> you remember them like for life. Not that yes. I would know what that is whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, since you've been through it, what are what do you think are some of the big qualities that someone needs to have to kind of make it through? And then not just like you said, be there day one. Yeah, um, I did a video on this on YouTube because I, I think it's important for people to go into it kind of knowing some of the expectations. But the number one thing that I think people need to have is integrity because you're part of a crew. And so you being trustworthy and, you know, that's that's important because I'm not going to go out. Everyone's life is on the line when you go out. Yes. You know, you try and make it as safe as possible, but it is an inherently dangerous job. And so people's life art can be on the line and um, you have to be able to trust the person to your left and to the right of you. So I think having integrity, being a trustworthy individual um, is really important. Um, And then another one that I think that you need to have is obviously you have to be adaptable. Um, There's lots of things that are going to come your way and be thrown at you. And if you're a very rigid person and you're not able to kind of step back and kind of reassess Um, you're going to have a difficult time not saying that you can't do it. Um, you're just going to have to work on it. Um, but I think that will serve you well is being more adaptable. Um, obviously you're going to have to have some perseverance. There's going to be, not every moment is crazy. You're going to have some very mundane moments where you're just sitting and waiting for a fire. It could be like, you're like on week two and you're like, bro, I want to go out on a fire. Just send me out. And you've just been sitting at the station, just itching to get out. Um, so there's definitely mundane moments, but um, you're definitely going to have to push through once you're out on fires for say you're on day 20 of a 21 roll and you're like ready to go home. <laughs> you're going to have to push through when you're climbing up that same stupid hill <laughs> over and over again definitely have that perseverance. Um, and then I think another one is that you have to be a responsible person. Um, you taking accountability for your actions and being someone who's able to say, Hey, I messed up is really important. Um, one, it's a teaching lesson for those around you saying, Hey, it's okay for us to mess up as long as we own up to it and we learn from it and we're better next time. So I think, um, just being a responsible person. So I know those are just, it's just like four of them, but I think those are the top ones, um, for sure that someone needs to go in to it kind of having. Yeah, I definitely agree with the, I mean, this goes for anything, just in general life, just knowing your mistakes. I w- I think I was just talking to somebody else last week and it was just, I was so amazed because they were just calling out all their past stuff. And I've like, I've never heard someone actually calling it out that and say, yeah, I had messed up. And I, and I was just like, man, I just think that a lot. I never actually say it out loud. <laughs> I mean, it takes a big person. So yeah, I think of there's lots of egos in wildland firefighting, you know, people are coming in with that, that hero mentality. Um, in a good way too, you know what I'm saying? But um, so sometimes people have a difficult time owning up to their mistakes, but I think that's a, a good quality that you should have. What's something that you've picked up over the years that kind of, uh, I guess, shaped you since when you started to now? Oh, man. Um, I think there's all kinds of stuff. Um, I think 
the job in general, just pushing you out of the boundaries that you have set for yourself. Um, Cause you're like, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I can do, but this job is going to stretch you. Um, and so I think that that's really cool. Um, so I just think really the, the job in general, the, the people that I have met, my experience, the people have been so amazing in guiding you and mentoring you and really helping you. Um, again, you're all a part of a team. I know a lot of people, not a lot, but I've, I've definitely heard other people say they have not that experience. And that really makes me very sad. Um, you know, I just, I just think of firefighters as like a team of, of heroes coming in to save everybody and just like, you know, and so, um, and that really makes me sad when I have a person to my left or to my right, who's not feeling that. Um, but but yeah, so I, I really do think it's the job. There's so many different experiences that you can get with this job. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely going to to make you grow and expand yourself for sure. Or else, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone into the last question. Okay. What is something that your parents did growing up that you'd like to pass on to the next generation? And the other side, what's something that you would want to do new or differently that your parents uh, did? Um, my my parents definitely instilled, you don't lie. And um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, I'm just going to say that one. You don't lie. <laughs> so my parents definitely told me, don't lie. Um, and that always really that always really stuck with me. So that's what I think being able to own up to your mistakes and like really talk that out. I really think that is really set in with me telling the truth, being open and honest about your mistakes. So yeah, that's the first one. And then what was the other question? What's something new that you try or do differently that your parents did? So I'm trying with my children. I know gentle parenting is just like a hard, it's a, it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but I'm trying to be more I'm going to listen to your feelings <laughs> or like take your feelings into account. Um, because before it's just like kind of my parents are just like most parents be quiet and, and you're done and that's it. So I'm, I'm really trying to be more patient and you tell me how you feel, explain to me how you're feeling. Um, so that's a little, difficult for me because that's definitely not how I was raised. So I'm going to, I'm trying that. Um, I think it's, it's working. It's definitely a work in progress. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's parenting, man. It is a whole new world. It is, it is rough. And I know people say that until you are in it and experiencing it, you don't know, you have no idea. And, um, because before people would tell me, oh, parenting is hard. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm young. I'm not doing that. Whatever. Um, and then you get into it and you're like, bro, they were right. <laughs> but it, but it's so funny because, I, I mean, I, I obviously I didn't do that. My parents, both of my parents are from big families. And mm. like they had like seven kids. Like nowadays, if you have seven kids, that's like that's a reality show. That's yes. not, that's not like real life. Like, right. like having seven kids back then was just like, 
why not have seven more? Like, right. It was yep. financially like if anything, you gained money because these kids were working the field or yes. they were like having jobs at like eight years old. Mm -hmm. Whereas nowadays, like it's completely different because these kids need to they need to learn how to swim when they're two years old. It's not like the kids in that. I really have to look at that show, but the Netflix show, everyone tells me about it. It's like the kids who run errands in Japan. And oh, like, have, no have you seen, oh, you, you should check it out or okay. I should check it out too. But basically there's <laughs> these like three to four year old children who are like running errands, dropping off stuff, picking stuff up from the market. Oh and I'm my like, gosh. this is what like 1952 was in yes. America people were laboring their children where nowadays like they're watching Coco Melon or Bluey or like all the above. Yes. Yes. I blame iPads. That's, that's the main issue. Yes. 100%. I am guilty. I have to say I am guilty of the iPad. <laughs> yeah, me too. It, I mean, sometimes it's, you, you talk about saying your feelings, mm -hmm. but it's the exact mirror mommy and daddy are feeling frustrated and they need a break like we get frustrated too yes like, like i tell my son like take a breath take a breath and then i gotta tell myself and my wife sometimes take a breath but i think that's good though if they i mean obviously you don't want to see your parents upset or stuff like that but i right. mean to understand i think that's the biggest thing to understand that your parents make mistakes yeah they get frustrated yes and modeling that because like you said, my dad, stoic, nothing would face him. He was just kind of like always, I don't know, just stoic, no emotion, just to the point. And um, so I want to have, you know, I'm definitely a more lively, emotional person. <laughs> so I definitely want to, you know, instill that more of like, I'm a real person too. I have feelings too. I feel the same things you feel sometimes. So, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Is there anything you want to promote? Get on your soapbox. Um, so I do have a website that I um, have created for people. I just try and make resources that I think will help new people getting into wildland firefighting. I know it's can be really difficult to find information on wildland firefighting, especially if you're a new person trying to get into it. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, that's why I created the YouTube channel um, to help people just go give my experience of this is what I did. This is what happened. So people can kind of like have an idea. Um, and then, so I do have a website that I try and create some resources for people to help them get going. Um, I do, I am in the process of creating a rucking course. I really love rucking one. It's functional fitness for wildland firefighters. Like that's your job basically. Um, so why not, you know, practice like you, like you play. So I think that that is, you know, a key of it, but then also I'm in the military and I rock in the military. So kind of combining the two. And I also want to open it up to other people of just like, it's not just for firefighters and it's not just for military people. Like you can add rocking into your workouts and, um, get a really great workout. I'm, I'm also like, like I said, a mom, right? So I love fitness. I used to be in the gym six days a week and just loved it for multiple hours. Now, not at all. Um, and one, I've had a couple of kids, so I cannot be jumping around and running like I used to. So rucking is a really great, amazing option for me. Um, plus I get to spend time with my kids out for a walk already. 
I get to put on a pack. So I get my workout in at the same time. So I just really think for my whole world, kind of combining that one thing, it really brings everything together. So if I'm enjoying it so much, I want to create a place for maybe other people where it can help them too. Um, so I'm in the process of doing that, but, um, yeah, so those are just the couple of things that I have. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what is actually rocking? I, I, I don't. So rocking is literally just walking with weight. You throw a backpack on with some weight in that's it. Super simple, super easy. Anybody can do it. I did a YouTube video on it the other day and I had a 71 year old man comment and saying, Hey, I'm 71. I just started doing this and I really love it. I'm almost at a hundred miles. I was like, bro, get it. That's awesome. So, um, like I said, anyone can do it. And I, I just, I love the fact that you can do it with your kids, with your dog. You can do it by yourself. You know, if you want to have that mental time by yourself, um, and get a really great workout in at the same time. And it's low impact. So it just, there's just like so many benefits also, that's going to build up your resilience, your mental toughness, all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of think it's a really great functional fitness one for firefighters, but anyone can do it. And you can just walk out your front door. Like you don't have to go to a gym. You don't have to go to a trailhead. I mean, obviously you can, if you want to, but it's just super accessible. So. No, that's awesome. I I love little things like that, especially, especially for a person like me, whose brain goes everywhere. Like he needs something set for a set amount of time. This is what I'm going to do. Yes. But I want to be able to do two other things while I'm doing it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yes. So um, that's what I love about it as well. You can be listening to a podcast or you could be, you know, coming up with ideas for stuff or you can be doing it stress relief of just like working out a problem in your mind. You know, there's just so many things. There's so many things that I love. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) But yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, you know, asking me to be on your show. So, you know, hopefully I did wildland firefighting justice. I know there's amazing, amazing people out in the community. So thank you for reaching out to me and and interviewing me because I know there's tons, amazing other people out there. So thank you. No problem. If you like this week's episode of people more interesting than me, please follow me on Apple podcasts. So you won't miss out on more episodes like these.